Welcome to So Do We Have a Deal, the podcast where we want to change the way that you look at sales. The way we do this is that we get direct interviews with successful sales individuals and managers in all industries to give you advice straight from the field. And today we're going to talk about opportunity. Uh, how do you identify an opportunity? What are good opportunities and bad opportunities? And what technical skills and human skills do you need to basically turn an opportunity into a real lead or even a real deal? So today we have with us Sebastian Fernandez Medrano from Samapaita Ventures. Welcome to the show, Sebastian. So tell Hi, us, <laughs> how are you today? I'm very good, thanks. Thank you very much for having me. It's actually the first podcast I do in my life, so I'm feeling super honored <laughs> to to do with you guys. We're glad to have you here. So for those listeners who haven't heard about you or Samapaita Ventures, could you tell us a bit more about yourself? Of course. Um, so my name is Sebastian, but of course you can call me Seb. Um, I'm 27 years old. I was born and raised in Madrid, and I, I actually have quite an awkward background for the venture capital industry because I studied uh, law and politics. So back in the days, I wanted to get into politics. My dream was to become a diplomat and basically orientate my professional career to the public sector and never to the private one. But in, uh, as I was finishing my university degree, I launched my own startup. I did uh, online uh, organic slash artisan bread delivery. Um, and that like got me interested into business and entrepreneurship. And when I finished my degree, I got the chance to do a selection procedure to enter Samaipata, which was, uh, w- which was born in 2015. So the same year I finished my university studies. And uh, I got the opportunity without having the, let's say, plain vanilla background a, a venture capitalist normally has uh, with like training in business, engineering and previous experience in M&A or banking. I got the chance to enter the firm as an intern. And I've been here for four years. Um, I've, I've just been promoted to principal uh, and I'm covering Southern Europe in Samaipata. So all the investments happening in Portugal, Spain and Italy. And, and it's been a super like exciting journey over the last four years, growing internally from intern to actually now covering a full region. That's an incredible diversity. And how do you see that impacts what you do at Samaipata? Well, uh, you mean, uh, how do I manage to work and have additional things to do? Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how your diverse career translates into the, the position you're in now. And maybe you could give mm-hmm. us an insight into the work you do at Samaipata. Yeah, of course. Uh, so essentially what I do today is um, I analyze startups, businesses across Southern Europe within uh, the investment thesis you define at the very beginning. So marketplaces on the pre-series A stage. Uh, in the in the countries I cover, so I basically spend most of the time uh, looking for startups to invest, uh, doing due diligence, so speaking with founders, understanding businesses, markets, and deal structures, closing deals, and then <clears throat> uh, managing companies. So taking care of the entrepreneurs we've invested in uh, through portfolio management, and I'm also very involved in fundraising also because we as a fund we need to fundraise money to then invest in startups. Uh, and then because I've been in Samaipata from the very beginning, uh, when we were only three people, uh, there's, there's like a bunch of, uh, of things uh, I used to do when I was an intern that I've continued to do over the last four years. So I take care of communication here. I take care of talent many times. So most of the selection procedures and also the thing that I love the most 
I take care of company culture. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, one thing that um, I notice is especially that you're using your skills from your background to basically identify new business opportunities. And this brings us actually to the topic um, of this episode. How do you identify an opportunity as an investor? Mm -hmm. Well, um, we call these uh, sourcing startups, right? And there are like different channels to, to look for potential investment opportunities. And I divide them between inbound and outbound channels. By inbound channels, I mean entrepreneurs that proactively contact us without us uh, doing anything. So the emails we get, people contacting us through our website, through our type form, uh, people that approach us randomly knocking at our doors. Um, and then outbound channels, which are entrepreneurs, we contact ourselves uh, either at events through accelerators or incubators where they are uh, doing like acceleration programs or also by cold calling. So as a, the same way a pure sales team in any sort of company works where you have teams of uh, sales managers calling potential clients, uh, let's say identifying leads to contact and, and calling people that could eventually want to buy a, a product or service, we do it like that. We identify startups being created all across our geographical footprint and, and we contact them through LinkedIn, through email, through phone sometimes. Uh, and that's 80, 90% of, of, the, of the sourcing we do. So we do a lot of uh, proactive outbound sourcing. And um, yeah, that, that, that's mostly it. <laughs> and in all this, what, what kind of data are you then looking into? Or so we see a lot of data used in sales processes today. And mm -hmm. in order to analyze any kind of opportunity, Mm -hmm. How important is data in relation to the opportunities that you look into? So the reality is that uh, as we are a seed stage fund, we invest in companies that are super, super early in operations. We do not invest in um, businesses that are not live, so non -in not incorporated uh, companies, non-incorporated companies. Uh, we invest in companies that are incorporated and that have a product life, even if it's on the first week of, um, of operations. And we don't really care about the traction uh, when, it comes, when it comes to monetization. So we don't need businesses to make money to invest. But if, if businesses are not making money, we need to see some traction uh, on the user behavior side of, 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 of the platform, of the startup. Uh, this means uh, register, users register, downloads, uh, any sort of interaction of the user with the platform. Uh, we need to see you have, there's some magic in the way people are behaving inside uh, your product, right? Inside your app or inside your platform. Uh, some sort of magic on the social behavior of users. So what I mean with this is that uh, when, we do, when we do the outbound sourcing and we look for startups, we essentially try to identify all the online companies being born in Europe. And then we focus on the ones that are in our geographies that haven't raised any money so far and that have a business model that matches our business model specialization, which are marketplaces. So any sort of platform aggregating supply and demand and, and matching that supply and demand through the platform, right? It's like a, an, on, an online marketplace, right? Beautiful. Uh, like Airbnb, BlaBlaCar, Uber, any sort of platform where, where people go to connect. And and so we don't really care about that data uh, we, because for us, it is important to meet the entrepreneur as soon as possible, even if they haven't launched the business yet. And while it might not be the right moment to invest, we need to spend some months building trust with the entrepreneur so that when the moment to raise the round arrives, he chooses us as, as uh, their travel companion. So we like to spend time with the entrepreneurs regardless of, 
of, of, of the data they have so far just for them to choose us at the right moment. That's a really, really, really interesting point because um, many investors look at data and um, traction and this is like a main part of what um, defines their decision. Now, you mentioned the human aspect. Um, mm. Could you maybe elaborate a bit what is for you important in terms of the human aspect to make a decision at least to either invest or support this entrepreneur or this business? Yeah. So when we analyze companies, we analyze the team, we analyze the business model, go-to-market strategy, the product, the market where we where they are operating and the and the structure of the cap table and, and of the round they are raising. Out of those four areas, the team represents 80 or 90% of our decision. And, and when I say this, uh, I'm not talking about a subjective slash instinctive, instinctive analysis, but an analysis based on patterns and very uh, uh, procedimental. So it's, uh, there's a way to objectively analyze people. Uh, of course, uh, investors have, uh, have uh, some sort of intuition and experience when, when meeting founders. But, but there are a lot of things you can analyze on teams that are pretty, uh, let's say, quantifiable. How would you basically define, um, let's say, ambitious and interesting entrepreneur for you that basically is able to execute what you are expecting from him? For me, there, there aren't like formulas for founders. Uh, I'm a... I don't like, uh, I think one of the problems of our industry is that a lot of the venture capital firms are what I call local hunters. Uh, this means uh, investors looking for entrepreneurs that have perfect LinkedIn profiles with uh, the logos of the best universities, the, as I was saying at the very beginning, the plain vanilla, uh, you know, roadmap to become a successful entrepreneur in terms of uh, spending some years in specific sectors, launching a startup and failing. So these kind of stereotypes we have about the perfect entrepreneur. I don't believe in, I don't believe in, in plans. I don't believe in plain vanilla profiles. We look for contrarians. We look for people that, have, that follow non-linear uh, professional careers many times. We look for people uh, that have been close to the product they are selling. Uh, I have one of the CEOs of one of our portfolio companies, Proxy, is called Renault. Uh, this guy has a platform to basically digitize uh, the, the, the purchasing of uh, fresh fish and seafood. This guy uh, launched his own business when he was 18, doing uh, export-import of French products in the UK, driving a bank himself across the, the, the channel. And he then spent years working at fishermen unions, working uh, at different companies, doing sales and business development related to the industry. This guy was touching fish on a, thing, on, on a daily basis, and he knows what he sells. And, and now he has launched an amazing business. A question that comes to mind here, and especially within the, the startup space, it could be hard to know where the opportunity is. But on the other hand, how do you know when to say no to an opportunity? Mm -hmm. Well, in our case, uh, the... The, um, the, the vast majority of the times we say no is, is due to the fact that we're a super specialized VC. So as we only invest in a specific countries, because we only invest in Portugal, Spain, Italy, France, the UK, and Germany. 
we only invest at a specific stage of growth, which is pre-Series A, and we only invest on a business model, which are marketplaces slash platforms. Whatever that that doesn't fall within those criteria, it's a no from us because uh, that's our investment thesis, and and we are hyper obsessed with specialization and focusing on the businesses we know because otherwise we think it's hard to make the right investment decisions and especially to bring value to the entrepreneur once you've invested if you don't know if you don't understand how how its business model works and for us it's hard to understand more than it's, it's already hard to understand what business model so we cannot be i cannot imagine how it would be to to be agnostic and invest in all kinds of business models and so th there's a lot of the no we say that is justified from the very beginning being super transparent with what our what our criteria is uh, are sorry and and on the second side uh, when when it comes to opportunities that uh, are in the funnel and we are already analyzing there are tons of reasons to say no uh, there are reasons related to the team uh, there are reasons related to the business or to the metrics uh, to the way the speed of execution of the founders to the time they're taking to find the right go to market. Uh, there are reasons related to the market size, to the market competition, of course, and how 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 complex will it be to to play on the arena of a specific business which has been already um, penetrated by a lot of big players that are well funded by tier one funds uh, globally, and and there are reasons also related to the structure of the company here. Uh, just to do a quick highlight, um, for us, as 80-90% of the decision is the team. For us, this means we expect the team to stay in the company when we invest, right? Um, so because basically our bet is on the people and not on the business, which most most of the times has nothing still when we invest. Uh, so the 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 motivation of the team to stay in the company is directly related to the equity they hold in the business, the, the stake they have. And uh, for that, we think it's super important when fundraising to uh, stick to the dilution standards which is a maximum of a 20% dilution per, per round. This, by this, I mean that in every round, you shouldn't sell more than 20% of your stake to investors. It's like you said before, it's, it's all about the team. Uh, it's a team that you're really investing in. And one, one question that comes to mind there, is there any specific trait when we're talking about the human aspect as before, um, that you, if you see that in a team, that's a no-no. That's a no-no to the opportunity. In the team? Yeah, say a soft skill or a trait of the founder or a core team member. Well, uh, not being full time for sure. Uh, that's that's a deal breaker. So when we invest in businesses, we expect founders, unless they are in the first week of operations and they're just they are in this period of one two months between transitioning to leave their job and focus on the business. But if if we meet a founder that has been already operating a business for more than six months and he's not full time in the business, he or she. Uh, for us, it's a deal breaker because we need not 100%, but a million percent skin in the game. If we are taking the risk of putting a million in your business, we expect you at least to take the risk to put all the, as we say in Spanish, to put all the meat on the on the on the barbecue, right? Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> I really like your approach and how you really try to understand um, the people behind the business um, before mm. you make a decision. And this brings us actually to um, our last question. Uh, which is, what is your advice to entrepreneurs and sales managers out there when searching for new opportunities mm -hmm. and uh, identifying new opportunities, as well as 
when they should maybe say no to a new opportunity. But not only from an investor perspective, but as, um, let's say, opportunity seeker. Playbook, playbook, playbook. Um, so the, when we work with entrepreneurs on... Uh, It's, it, normally we work with them especially during the first two years after we invest in them because afterwards they, they raise money with an additional fund that becomes like the lead investor but on these 12 to 24 months where we play our core role as seed investors in the company uh, one of the key challenges when it comes to sales or to looking for opportunities is to defining uh, sales processes uh, in early businesses there's always a lack of processes for everything so You've started a business in a very rudimentary way uh, and you don't have any sort of a structure of actions on a daily basis. And one of our key duties as investors is helping you set up procedures to scale, uh, to make the company scalable, right? So to be able to efficiently allocate resources and understand what's the best way of doing things. And when it comes to sales, this is key. Uh, so having processes in place, playbooks in place to look for business opportunities to, uh, in, in the case of a B2B company, so a company is selling services to businesses, you need to have a, a way to do the prospect of clients. You need to have a pipeline to manage each of the steps of the funnel since you contact a client until you close it. You need to have different people in the team for different tasks. You need to have lead generators, um, closers uh, to close the, basically to have a client paying for the service. And then account managers to keep like a good relationship with the client on a monthly basis. And when it comes to B2C businesses, you need to prove all sorts of acquisition channels, Facebook, Google, Instagram, whatever the channels you use are, test them and have a playbook for each of them. So uh, having rules and methodologies that are structured and that uh, serve you as a way to train your employee base how to how to look for opportunities and how to manage clients once you have them. A so lot of that, transparency, you can say that just being very clear on what you're doing and being transparent throughout the company so that you can pass that knowledge exactly. on as you grow. And that exactly. And when, when it comes to sales, there are different profiles because uh, there are sales uh, managers that are, uh, let's say aggressive in the good way. So I mean, super executors focusing on, uh, getting their KPIs done and, you know, getting, meeting their targets. Uh, and sometimes because they are so much focused on execution, uh, they don't think on a, on a, from a collective point of view on how to improve the overall performance exactly. of the team. Exactly. They are super, they are killers at, at selling, but they don't share the secret sauce of what they do with the rest of their colleagues because sometimes they're also slightly competitive. And, and that's a huge mistake from my point of view. I, I think you have to build a culture in the company where, Overall performance is above individual performance. Besides, individual performance is super important, and and it needs to be rewarded. And there are there are employees that outstand others and that deserve uh, more merit, of course. But um, there needs to be, when it comes to playbooks, I think this philosophy of sharing learnings, gathering learnings, and giving transparent, live, and public access to the whole. Uh, company of all the improvements implemented in each department on a daily basis. Very, That's how I very see it. good. No, no, this is this is. I, I I have to say. I mean, we 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 agree with you on this point. It's it's transparency is an important aspect, and especially like having the patience to mm -hmm. to execute this and to let's say fail, 
after 100 calls or 100 emails. And mm -hmm. you mentioned two very important points that I really would like to emphasize here. It's one that you said, uh, like yourself being able to excel and work hard and basically do the sale, like kind of the killer, as you called them. But at the same time, you should never forget the team. And you basically exactly. have to ensure that you share your your winnings and um, your success and help others to achieve the same because yeah. each one has its own goal. And you need to, uh, one uh, last comment. Uh, there's, there's a type of employee that uh, always thinks first about the overall performance before his individual performance. And the, this kind of employee sometimes is behind the scene. You don't realize about it, but he's like trying to set up processes. He's trying to people to stick to rules. He's trying for people to share the learnings to improve the overall performance. And this kind of the employee is the one for me who brings the biggest value to the business. And sometimes it's, it's not outstanding because... It, He might not be as charismatic or as a, a salesly or powerful when, when selling himself or when talking about his individual performance because he's thinking of overall performance. And this kind of employee for me has to be taken to the moon. He has to be rewarded massively. He's, he's basically uh, dealing with, uh, let's say, uh, having people stick to processes getting all the burn of people complaining to him because he's the, he's the disciplined one and, and he's asking people to improve the overall performance uh, instead of focusing on its individual targets. And what he's doing is just uh, giving the company a huge dose of generosity to improve processes, scale more efficiently and scale faster. And exactly. sometimes it's, it's a profile that uh, uh, it's like hidden. It's below the radar of, of, the, of the, let's say, of, of his boss because Uh, because he's not as aggressive or as charismatic because he's he's more on the on the collective side of things exactly he's keeping the family basically and the team together i think yeah. this is a very good um closing it brings us really to realize that opportunity is more than just data um it includes lot, lots of human skill that we have to mm -hmm. watch out for and we need to be patient uh patient especially on the part of um identifying and prospecting new opportunities and i really thank you for sharing with us all these really 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 um interesting insights um i think this will help a lot of people especially understand better how the um, vc industry is um operating and how you guys have innovated the approach of um investing into companies and human beings um, mm -hmm. i would like to thank you from my side and you're welcome yeah it's been great you're having you here sebastian and lovely to hear a, a fresh view on what sales is uh here and so do we have a deal we want to change the way that people look at sales mm. and as you've been talking about the wolf of wall street might not be the best one for your company and i think <laughs> as latif said that's a great key point to wrap this up um was lovely having you here so if any startup wants to get in touch with you, should they contact you through your website? Is there any way they can get in touch with you? Is this something you mm -hmm. would recommend? Yeah, there's a website, there's a tie form on the website to upload uh, your deck. And also uh, don't reach me through LinkedIn because I never reply to messages there, but you can get my email is seb, so S-E-B, as Seb for Sebastian, at samaipata.vc for venture capital. Excellent. So, We will include a link in the description yeah. as well. Anyone who wants to check yes, out semipython.vc, feel free to do so.
Yeah, and as a, as a last comment, it is true that the Wolf of Wall Street may not be a good fit for me, but I love DiCaprio and I hope to be <laughs> at least as, half, as, as good as he has as an actor oh, uh, sometime. Yeah. No, beautiful, beautiful. So do we have a deal, Sebastian? Yes, of course. Thank lovely, you. lovely. Thank you very much. <laughs> to learn more about the human and the technical aspects of sales, make sure to hit subscribe and follow us on our next episodes. Thank you.